0: Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. Two-man show this week. I'm Cam along with Nick and uh, it's too bad that we're missing Keith because you guys (laughs) had a a pretty spirited debate last week about what kind of circumstances would have to be in place for Joseph Wall to get a sniff in the playoffs. Obviously, remarkable circumstances, right? But uh, alas, Matt Murray's woeful season continues and he leaves the loss to Detroit after... looking. Pretty bad. Uh, yeah, he wasn't looking good. So those remarkable circumstances are uh, a lot closer to being in place. And, and Nick, like we know he's going to be the guy for Game 1, but it looks like the net belongs to Ilya Samsonov a little sooner than anticipated
1: here. Yeah, I think at this point it's about time to kind of put the entire goaltending debate to bed. Um, I, I think you know, even last week we were talking about how they're likely going to need both guys if they're going to make any kind of deep playoff run. But I think the way things have gone, not only injury-wise, but performance-wise, uh, especially in the second half here, I-, I just think it's become more and more clear that it's Samsonov's net until an injury of his own you know, changes things around or if he really, really struggles. But I think at this point... It it would take a a monumental collapse in his overall level of play to even entertain the conversation of having Matt Murray usurp him for the number one spot. And that's, you know, if Matt Murray is available and able to stay healthy, uh, which that itself has become a, a glaring issue more and more as the season has gone on. And we don't really know what the situation is with his latest injury. Uh, took a hard fall on Sunday night against Detroit. Uh, Just kind of a freak accident. I don't think anyone who's ever stepped foot on the ice and and played a game of hockey would fault Lucas Raymond for that incident. Just kind of a, a freak play. But, you know, just another unfortunate injury nonetheless for Murray. And it's just kind of thrown... His entire status just further into question here,
0: and a lot of talk lately, obviously about you know Murray versus Samsonov, and and how Murray is kind of more of a system guy, and. Like when things break down, it it really breaks down for him. And and like the the Leafs just maybe it'll be back up to speed for game one. And and maybe, like you said, Samsonov does struggle and you you had to turn to him if he's healthy. Um, Maybe, you know, they're humming again and maybe it could work. But right now, like the Leafs have not been playing like a team that could support a guy who who you know is, is not able to kind of bail you out a bit
1: right yeah well and to, to your point like the numbers kind of bear that out that Matt Murray's had really good numbers when it comes to you know medium and low danger chances when the, when the Leafs are able to keep everything to the outside Matt Murray's been making the saves he's supposed to make he just doesn't give you a whole lot of the ones that maybe he isn't supposed to make and the fact of the matter is you're going to need more than a handful of those if you're going to have any kind of postseason success and we've seen time and time again over the course of this season uh Ilya Samsonov come up with a remarkable save and that's not to say that Murray hasn't had a few 10 bellers of his own but it's just been a far less consistent thing and and as you said it seems like when when the play breaks down around him it's just far too often he hasn't been able to come up with that big save that his team needs out of him and when you're looking at what's going to be at the other end of the rink in that opening round series against Tampa Bay, Andre Vasilevsky is going to make those saves for Tampa Bay more often than not. So I think, yeah, it just it comes down to what's going to give you the best chance to win. And I don't think there's any debate at this point that between those two guys, it's, it's Ilya Samsonov with a bullet.
0: Like I'd almost shut Murray down for the regular season at this point, because like if he needs to... Kind of have that support. Presumably, the Leafs are just going to continue to rest guys here the rest of the the regular season. He's not going to get the support he needs. That's not going to do wonders for his confidence. Like, best to just get him healthy and, and, you know, he's there if you need him for for the playoffs. And and hopefully it doesn't come to that.
1: Yeah, immediately though, you're getting into what Keith and I were kind of going back and forth on, on last week's episode is like at that point. Say something happens to Samsonov and you have shut down Murray for the rest of the season and say hypothetically Joseph Wall gets into another or two of these final six games or even one of them and has another strong showing. If Samsonov ends up you know, playing poorly or getting banged up in the opening round of the playoffs and Murray hasn't played between now and then. Are you honestly more comfortable turning to Matt Murray? I know, like, take pedigree and everything out of the equation, contracts out of the equation and everything, just strictly looking at what those two guys have done this season on the ice. I think there's a really good case that Joseph Wall is the better option at this point.
0: Hard to argue with it. Um I think that the only way like Murray would have to really be showing them something in, in practice in yeah. you know morning skate and, and, and like showing that, that he's got the confidence and that he's, that he's dialed in a bit. Um, but yeah, Bottom I mean, line, it's going to
1: be really hard for Matt Murray to regain the trust and make the coaching staff feel comfortable having to turn to him in a high pressure situation at this point. There's just, there's not a lot of runway for him to, to change that narrative around.
0: Yeah. Big off season question at this point for sure. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was obviously like it's, it's like we said, it's been a bit of a skeleton crew. Um, You know, a few guys out and a few guys out to lunch. Uh, TJ Brody (laughs) didn't have a great night. I thought the first period, a few real rough patches on those, uh, those first couple of Detroit goals. Um, So, I, I mean, like, I, I'm just taking almost nothing from these last couple of weeks. Well, it's and hard to take
1: much of anything from it, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it. it. It's not only the guys like that, that are out of the lineup. It's it's the guys who are just kind of trying to get it over the line, right? And yeah. and, you're, and you're facing some teams too, like like in Ottawa, who you know they they obviously handle Ottawa, but like teams who have something to play
1: for. Yeah. Yeah, well I think that's the real test every night now is that the Leafs are kind of locked into their spot. In fact, I think they became the first, you know, locked in series over uh this past week uh their matchup with Tampa Bay. I know it's it's felt locked in for a, a lot longer than that, but it became official uh sometime last week. So, yeah, it's like it, It's exactly what you said. It's almost just trying to push this thing over the finish line, uh, avoiding, you know, any uh, further catastrophes in terms of injuries or anything like that. So it's, it's a real test for this team when they're going up against other clubs every night who are playing for their lives, so to speak. And that's kind of the case more often than not with, you know, where we're at in the season one
0: team that will happily allow the Leafs to cave their head in on uh, Tuesday night is Columbus who, you know, they, they, they got the itch I would think right now and they're, they're, they're not in last anymore, but um, that, that Bedard man, that's hard to quit. Um,
1: yeah. He's currently torching a, a couple of Leafs prospects in the postseason right now. So yeah, the, the Connor Bedard show marches on Um, go to Joseph Wall I would think on Tuesday night I I think if it's me that would be the easy decision for me um considering you know Ilya Samsonov is coming off a stretch where he wasn't uh, around the team he was away for the birth of his son uh you know on that note congratulations to Ilya and his wife on the birth of little Miro zero for Miro I like that um so he has to come in and he puts on a stellar performance Saturday night, earns another shutout. But then when he has to get thrown in on a back to back, you know, with Murray going down due to injury on a night where he's not expecting to play, you know, he he said it himself after the game. He was just feeling a little bit sore. You know, he did his his uh, pregame routine, a little bit of an extra workout when uh, he's not expecting to play. So yeah, I think it's just an easy decision uh, to not kind of burn him out even further down the stretch here light opponent coming in on Tuesday. As you said, maybe one of the ones that we've got down the stretch here who aren't going to be, you know, scraping and clawing for every point they can get. So that's probably the the spot to turn to wall and see if he's able to keep it going here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, uh, Another big kind of topic that is, has, I mean, it's it's it feels like it's been percolating here for the last few months, but uh, really getting some legs after Sheldon Keith spoke a, a little bit and kind of had some some uh, I don't know what you would call it, a backhanded kind of comment for the refs about uh, how Michael Bunting has been treated this season. And um, I mean, it's it just feels like he, he's the benefit of the doubt is gone and it ain't never coming back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's definitely been an overcorrection, I would say. Um, but th- there's definitely an element of you you reap what you sow here. And I, I think we saw that last year with Bunting. We were making all the jokes, you know, Michael Bunting, Bob Ross, the way he's drawing all these penalties and just constantly baiting other teams into into retaliatory things. And, you know, it's abundantly clear that <laughs> there's a, there's been a memo around the league between the officials that... You know this is a guy to watch for, and he's definitely receiving receiving zero benefit of the doubt anymore. And I think it's you know gone the other way, where there's a bit of a, a quick trigger finger when it comes to calling him for penalties. I mean, it, you, you, the the ten minute misconduct against Detroit on Sunday night. I mean, that w- there was really not a whole lot there, <laughs> like. I've seen a lot worse happen in scrums and after scrums than a guy kind of just lightly shuffling a stick away from the opposing player with his feet. So I just, it felt like a lot of other guys would get away with that in that instance. And that's just not happening for Michael Bunting anymore. And it's, it's becoming a really big issue because Michael Bunting isn't just some, you know, fourth line plugger or grinder. This is one of the six best forwards on the Leafs roster, and he's going to be a really important piece if they're going to have any success in the postseason. So it, it comes down to him being able to toe that line, but I think it's almost gotten to the point where it's an impossible line for him to toe right now just because the, the officials are, are so quick to, to point the finger at him, and it's almost like they're looking to be able to to make an example of him, almost every night. It's
0: not even. It, yeah, it's gone beyond trying to just catch him, right? Like they're they're yeah. trying to teach him a lesson. It's it, it's like a it, they're trying to enforce this moral code that they fucking. It, it's it's infuriating, and it's yeah, it, it just it feels like it, it's the bunting chip on the shoulder now, and, and yeah. it's it's infiltrated the officials, and, and I, yeah, I, I don't know what you do about that as <laughs> as an organization, as as Keith said, that's it's for Kyle to deal with, but I don't know how you deal with it.
1: Yeah, like does Dubis, you know. G- going to the league over this help matters any or is it kind of push them even further the other way i think you know it's a tough spot for the leafs as an organization but i think they almost have to at least kind of make their stance known at least make it known that they are feeling some kind of um, discriminatory officiating towards bunting And that it isn't, you know, completely on the up and up because it it certainly doesn't feel like it most times. And again... Michael Bunting has brought some of this on himself, but it, I think it's just gone way too far the other way, especially as this season is more on. Yeah.
0: And I mean, like I I get it to an extent, like, for example, you know, against against the wings, the coincidentals there, like he like he went down easy there. Like I like I see people trying to he, he say went that, that down, easy. I guess the, the problem there. And this is what I mean about, like, trying to enforce this code or whatever, like that's a situation where they probably just they would have let them both go. But they they, yeah. they felt like they they wanted to nail bunting for it, so they had to call both. But like then you have the the things like the Evander Kane thing from a, like a few weeks back against yeah,
1: like, like and that's Kane insanity. Mauls him all the way up and down the ice, yeah. Like no, how do you it, not? But there's been more than one of those instances over the course exactly. of the season, right? It, it's just like. Again, not only just not getting the benefit of the doubt, he's just not getting anything from the officials at all.
0: Yeah, some of it's just craziness, and and it's like I mean, they're going to let them put him in a full-on fucking figure four once the playoffs start, right? Like it's it's not going to get better.
1: Yeah, that's where that's where the worry really comes in. I think is because the the intensity always gets ratcheted up in the postseason. We know this, and Bunting's not you know he's not exactly a a fighter or a scrapper or whatever, but he's not a a shrinking violet either. He's going to be. Out of the guys on this Leafs roster, he's one of the most likely to be involved in those extracurriculars after the whistle and and everything that goes along with that. So it, it just it seems like it's something that could really become an issue in the postseason if the if the officials are in a mood where they're deciding they're going to take one guy out of these situations if they're trying to make that point or trying to you know quiet down the, uh, that extracurricular activity post whistle. It feels like Bunting is just a prime candidate to be victimized yeah. there.
0: No, it's, uh, it's it is a a going problem for sure.
1: And they need him on the ice too. So it's not just like that. It it puts them in a hole, you know, having to kill a penalty off. It's that. You, you want to be at even strength with Michael Bunting as one of your regular guys going out there every other shift. You right? need to making so plays.
0: Yeah, you 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 know yeah. you, you have you don't have the depth that you that you can just sacrifice Michael Bunting for long stretches.
1: No, and it's it's a tough thing because uh, you know part of what makes Michael Bunting so effective is that bit of a rat pest role that he plays. It's just it's uh, it, it's definitely becoming a thing, and uh, I don't know how he's going to kind of straddle that line moving forward here.
0: So I wanted to ask you about um, the Marlies a little bit and just kind of what's going on with them. They, they've they just clinched a playoff spot and uh, Topi Nievela made his debut. Uh, we recorded last week and I think uh, hours after uh, <laughs> we, we recorded, the, the news came out that he was indeed coming over to Toronto and now he's debuted. Uh, I know you watched that game. What were your initial impressions from his North American
1: pro uh, debut. My initial impression was that it it didn't look like it was his first game. Uh, he just he looked really comfortable, really composed, just really played his game. Uh, I don't think he held anything back or was you know trying to be overly cautious and you know gain the the trust of his new coach that way. Um, and, and what's interesting is he hadn't even had a, a full practice with the team yet. So he he's just kind of thrown right into the fire and they, they used him running the point on their top power play unit. Um, he, he was just, he was really comfortable joining the attack and that's kind of the hallmark of his game, right? Is he the, the activation off the rush and just kind of creating some movement around the offensive zone with the way he's able to walk the offensive blue line and yeah he just looked really comfortable and i was kind of wondering about you know w- with the the number of bodies on the marley's blue line right now and where they're at in their season you know they're making a, a push for the postseason and they've got championship aspirations of their own too just how easy it was going to be for Nimala to, to carve out a regular spot in this lineup but th- they threw him right in there uh Head coach Greg Moore seemed really pleased with what he was able to do on the power play, even though they were kind of disjointed throughout the day. He didn't really get a, a great chance to show what he's able to do on the man advantage. But, yeah, it was overall a really impressive showing for Nimala in his first AHL game. Um, he kind of alluded to it after the fact that the overall pace and the, the lack of time and space on the smaller ice was something that he's going to have to continu- uh, continue to adjust to as he – Uh, continues his AHL career here, but yeah really good first impression and i think it, it looks like he's going to be a guy who uh is uh, a key part of whatever postseason success the Marlies are going to be able to find too
0: and uh speaking of guys coming over dennis hill to be also uh joining the merrily's um for the the stretch run here yeah
1: it could be good timing right yeah
0: yeah exactly uh ryan torberg um who, who's been in the lineup now for i guess what a week week and a half uh got, got hurt in that game right yeah
1: he, and he was flying too uh, I haven't got to see every single one of the Marlies games since Torberg was in the lineup but uh that that was the, the best I've seen him so far in the American Hockey League his speed was just really noticeable throughout the course of the game but he wasn't just flying around there aimlessly uh he was pressuring the opposition on the forecheck you know forcing them to make quick decisions but he was also just really timely getting into those open pockets of space in the offensive zone he had like three really really good high quality scoring chances i thought you know he was going to get on the board with each one of those as i was watching unfortunately he uh, he suffered an upper body injury i think sometime in the second period and he was forced to leave the game still no word on exactly how long uh, that's going to be for him but yeah again another Another newcomer for the Marlies who's looking like someone who can be a real contributor for them. So, yeah, hopefully he's he's not out for any length of time here.
0: And and looking like a, another deep run for the Marlies? Or or how are we looking heading into the postseason?
1: Well, I mean, they're just coming off a seven-game losing streak. So, it's it's kind of hard to sit here and say <laughs> they look like a, a, a true contender to win it all.
0: Not exactly on form.
1: <laughs> not exactly yeah, rolling at the moment. But I think it also says a lot about the season they've had that they are coming off a seven-game losing streak and they clinched their division with Sunday's win. So, yeah, there's, they've been one of the top teams in the American League all season long. They're kind of hanging around a similar spot in the standings as what the the Leafs are in the NHL. So. Yeah, uh, how you feel about the Leafs should be kind of how you feel about the Marlies too, maybe with a little <laughs> less baggage.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just a little less. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they've won recently. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, I, I did enjoy uh, seeing Zach O'Brien score for the Marlies. A beauty too. Uh, it was a nice goal. Um, nice pass by Holmberg. I was a big Zach O'Brien guy. I, I, it inspired me. Like I was, I was telling you before we started recording. I started to read your, uh, your prospect roundup and then i got completely distracted searching my old tweets for zach o'brien from like 2010 2011 when he was just shredding the <laughs> queue and uh, i thought i thought he was going to be the next big thing out of atlantic canada but um logan shaw and zach o'brien both scoring goals for the Marlies yes. in 2023 wild wild stuff um
1: yeah i actually love having logan shaw as kind of like a you know, a, a permanent captain for as much as you can be a, a permanent captain in the American Hockey League. There's a, a lot of turnover, especially with guys that aren't on NHL deals. And Logan Shaw's a, a guy on an AHL deal, but he's on a three year AHL deal, which is a, a bit of a rarity in itself. So it looks like he's kind of. He's he's penciled in as uh, a Marley for the, the foreseeable future, and he's done a great job uh, helping lead that team this year. He's been a huge part of their success. So yeah, happy to have him uh, making Cape Breton proud. Yeah.
0: While while we've got you here on the kind of prospect uh, role, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the upcoming draft because we, we've talked about uh, Connor Bedard and we talked about Maffy Mitchkov. Um, feel like we got to talk about the other guy who's expected to kind of round out I I mean he'll go second Adam Fantilli I I would think right Mitch Kov is not a sure thing to go top three could be you know top three when you're looking at talent or raw talent or however you want to size it Yeah, he could fall all um, the way
1: down to seven or ten too with the uncertainty surrounding his situation so yeah but Fantilli a little more
0: certain because he shredded the NCAA this year like I I remember I remember that how, how impressive that Jack Eichel uh, campaign was
1: and, and like he, he put it to shame, didn't he? I mean, just a, a dominant year. Like, you just you don't see a ton of draft eligibles in the NCAA during their first year of draft eligibility to begin with. So, for him to come in and you know, not just kind of contribute and keep his head above water, but absolutely dominate the college circuit, it says it says an awful lot about the kind of player that he's going to be. Um, it a lot of people are going to think this is a, a, a bit outlandish but the the first guy that always comes to mind for me when I'm watching Adam Fantilli play is Austin Matthews. Like there are just so many similarities in the way that they play. Like big, powerful center who can kind of just control the game with the puck on his stick but has that two-way ability big time scorer, can score in a ton of different ways. Like this Adam Fantilli just has it all and if it wasn't for Connor Bedard, this is a guy who would be the number one pick in a lot of draft classes. So, yeah, pretty good consolation prize for whoever uh, you know, just misses out on Connor Bedard here, but yeah, Fantilli's going to be a star and it's a loaded draft man, but right at the top with these two guys especially. Uh, yeah, two real, real special players. And I just think Fantilli's kind of maybe not gotten a, as much love as he should just because he's in the shadow of Connor Badari.
0: Two NCAA uh, superstars foiled from the, the top pick by Connor. Uh, the story of both Jack Eichel and uh, (laughs) Fantilli. Um, It's pretty crazy, actually. Looking at those numbers, and it's kind of crazy how similar they are, honestly. He didn't exactly shred Eichel's numbers, but uh, 64 points in in 35 games for Fantilli, 29 goals. Uh, For Eichel, 71 points in 40 games. So five more games, seven more points, uh, 26 goals for Eichel. So, um, yeah, really similar numbers to kind of give you a, a bit of a a baseline for for what to potentially and and like you said you know it's the big body it's the way he moves
1: yeah and i'd give fantilli the edge in like the the off puck game at least at like this stage of his development compared to what eichel was coming out of college like there's just there's a real you know completeness to fantilli's game for where he's at and how old he is he, he's he's going to be a, a real franchise uh, building block someone who can kind of just do it all for his team at the nhl level and i don't think it's going to take long i, I think it, it'll be more a, a matter of his own personal decision as to whether he's in the nhl next year or if he decides to go back to michigan i
0: look forward to seeing which team completely builds their strategy around getting Connor and then ends up with this guy and then uh, it just completely sours him on the city because they are just pissy that they didn't get the guy they wanted. Uh, should be fun. Um hey Nick, you want to remember a leaf? Yeah, yeah I do. So we we uh this is the part where we were going to kind of laugh and joke because last week uh it, it appeared that Keith did not remember a leaf because he had audio <laughs> issues during the remember a leaf segment and, and I swear he, he did re- remember Nicholas Hagman, but he is not here to uh to confirm that. Um. So I I thought that you know since since we're missing Keith, I thought I'd go with a nice quick one. You remember Callie Johansson?
1: Callie Johansson, yes, longtime Washington Capitol, uh, I believe. Uh. Buffalo Saber as well.
0: uh I, I think you're correct. I, I believe he was drafted. Yeah, drafted by the Sabers. Uh, just a, a season we or two. got him there. from Washington, right? Yeah. Well, Washington. Yeah. He, so he was one of the trade deadline pickups at, at that '03 uh, deadline or '04 deadline, rather. Did he
1: actually play?
0: I, I, I'd like you to guess how many games he played for the Leafs, regular season and playoffs combined.
1: Four. Twelve. 12. Okay. Okay. Well, it's a yeah. while ago. It's a while ago, but I remember, I, I think I remember something about him coming in and getting hurt or leaving the team or something. Yeah. I, I think that
0: there was maybe an injury early or something. I can't remember exactly the situation, but, um,
1: he was also well beyond his, uh, expiry date at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
0: And not exactly the, the most Premium name at defense of the Leafs acquired that deadline, so so <laughs> no. s- slipped in a little bit behind Brian Leach there. Not not quite the uh, the razzle dazzle. Was that the
1: Glenn Wesley year too? I think so, that was the year before. I think that
0: uh, Wesley yes, was 0-3. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that was and, I'll and Gilmore and yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so glory the, days of NHL trade deadlines, where you're just sitting around in front of a TV, actually waiting to find out what the trades were back in the right. day before Twitter and. All that jazz that the youngins are so lucky to have these days. Yeah,
0: I, I, I remember, I mean, this would have been several years after the Callie Johansson and Brian Leach deadline, but I remember getting, like, uh, like text alerts from TSN in class, <laughs> and I was the source. No one had a damn smartphone. That shit was on T9, <laughs> baby. Um so so there we go we remember callie johansson uh wait we will um we'll go with something a little i ha- have a few better ones than callie johansson i wanted to save it for keith so we'll we'll step it up next week
1: i actually thought of a good one too uh but i'll save it for what, when keith's back the toronto blue jays the
0: the Oof. season is underway <laughs> um how, how are you feeling about alkmanoa not the not the the best start uh in the opener um How'd you feel about that opening series?
1: Honestly, as frustrating as it was, I still kind of came out of it feeling pretty good. I mean, first of all, Alec Manoa got sort of lit up on opening day. I think we've seen enough out of him to this point to know that that's not going to be a common occurrence. So that's definitely not a concern, at least at this point. He'd have to string together a lot more of those poor performances for me to start getting worried about him. Um, then you're looking at the second game Matt Chapman has a bit of a, a rough play at third that leads to a few runs when the Jays were pushing to get back in the game kind of took their momentum away again something that's probably not going to happen all that often uh, Matt Chapman making a an egregious error at third base so uh, in terms of like the the big mistakes that were made I don't think that they're you know huge issues that are going to continue to percolate moving forward um and f- as far as like their overall brand of baseball i know like some of the the stuff at the plate was frustrating over the weekend they struggled to get some hits in game two there um even game three the offense wasn't exactly on fire yet to hit a home run but the overall brand of baseball i think is going to be just a, a lot more enjoyable to watch and the the broadcast was kind of beating it to death but i thought it, w- it was it Uh, astute observations like pointing out the stuff like Kiermaier taking the extra base going first to third on that you know bloop single just kind of reading it really well off the bat that leads to another run you got you know Dalton Versho instead of trying to gun a guy out at the plate that he has no chance on he's throwing the ball into second base to keep a runner from taking the extra base on the defensive side it's not you know glamorous stuff but it's really sound fundamental baseball and I think it's just going to make for a much more enjoyable brand to to watch.
0: How are you feeling about the pitch clock?
1: I, I, I It's definitely growing on me. Not that I didn't like it to begin with, but I think I, I'm just starting to get more and more used to it as the games go on here. I think you could say the same about the players and everything. The one thing I'll say is I, I still think I would like to see it turned off if we're like in the ninth inning and the games within three runs, You know, going back to that uh, at bat in the world baseball classic, the trout and Otani at bat in the final game there. Someone broke that down. Every single pitch would have been a violation. And yeah. it was just uh, like letting that moment breathe. And th- that's what baseball is all about. Right. So I think yeah. th- there's a, a bit of a double-edged sword here with, you know, speeding the games up, but also maybe losing a bit of the, the essence of the baseball viewing experience and things like that. Just, it's all about the pressure in those moments and and the, the mounting tension and stuff. And I just don't, I don't want them to go so far that they lose that. I don't want to feel like things are rushed in the ninth inning of a a postseason game when it's within a run or two, you know, that's, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, a kind of a traditionalist or whatever, but yeah, that's the, my one concern with the pitch clock still.
0: Yeah. And I get that. Like it's, I, I and I agree for the most part. I, I I think that that is like, for me, that's a big part of baseball is like, yeah, that, that atmosphere. Right. Yeah. And, and that can't develop with, with the pitch clock kind of rushing things along and, and especially in those big moments.
1: Yeah. Like in those big moments, like the camera shots of all the guys leaning over the the top rail in the dugout, the, the cameras going to the fans and the stands, you know, with their, they're all on the edge of their seats and they're holding their breath like that just it, it adds to the the entire moment and and the the game as a whole so yeah i just i hope we don't lose that
0: entirely yeah uh i mean like it's it's one of those things like where i'm of two minds like i i, I know it's a good thing for the game like it's good that they, they yeah they, they've dramatically cut down you know the the run time like and, a half and,
1: hour so far oh yeah
0: yeah it's it's like i think that the jays had the longest game by far of, of opening day and it was like Just around three and a half hours I think But but like And selfishly Like that's another thing too Was like I I was out um, During the Jays game And like By the time I got back in I looked at the clock And it was like Three hours after it started And I was like Ah it's gonna be over Pitch clock and yeah. I was able to flip it on, but like th- that was always something I enjoyed about baseball was that like it, game started at, at whatever time, but maybe it's the 17th inning and Ryan Goins is bitching, you know, and, and that could, could <laughs> yeah. still happen. but um, yeah. it, it's, th- that was always kind of something that I enjoyed is that like, you know, maybe today it's going to be two and a half hours and maybe today it's going to be five and, and you just don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. One hundred percent. I think that a, a lot of, I was probably one of these people, uh, but I think a, a lot of, um, real baseball fans with all these incoming rule changes felt like baseball was trying to change for people who weren't fans i mean obviously they're trying to attract new fans but people who like baseball liked it the way it was <laughs> so yeah I, I i definitely put myself into that category but also i i think for the most part I, i'm a fan of uh all the new rule changes so Barring any major calamities here, uh, yeah, I think it's been a good thing.
0: Yeah, like as someone who watches, you know, a lot of other sports, it just it kind of feels like a move to like try to be more like other sports, and and I like that change of pace, you know. Yeah. Um. And, and speaking of which, like I I wasn't super dialed in on opening weekend. Uh. Very dialed in on the NCAA Final Four, <laughs> specifically on the uh, the women's side, which uh, ended in just a great finale between Iowa and uh, LSU, who who ended up. Coming out on top Iowa was my pick At the start of the tournament As I mentioned I think last week uh, My men's Pick got shunted Immediately And my women's (laughs) pick Went right to the, the Final This has been my My uh, tradition these last like three four years It's just a killer women's bracket and i get smashed on the the men's side but obviously the all the all the kind of discourse which is unfortunate has kind of been about the taunting the the angel reese versus caitlin clark angle and yeah um i mean just so many of the worst takes out there i i actually tweeted out earlier um bomani jones did a podcast probably the best thing i heard on it uh, listening to some of the stuff today that was put out there on it and uh, just kind of really really did a good job of summarizing a lot of the thoughts that I had on it, but um, I recommend that. I'm not going to get you know f- too far into all the kind of the details on that. Just uh, other than that, just to say, like it was a great tournament. The the final actually kind of sucked because the officials ruined it. Real shocker there. But uh, the drama is great for the sport. Both of these players are going to be back next year. Going to be a fantastic rivalry. Nine point nine million average. That uh, the the ratings just dropped before we started recording here. Peaked at twelve point six. Million, massive, massive numbers for women's basketball. So, um, really, really cool. Awesome. Caitlin Clark is a fucking
1: flamethrower and will be back. I see videos of her just like pulling up like ten feet beyond the arc oh <laughs> and <God. training> it. <laughs> like-
0: yeah, the stat, the, the yeah. stat that they kept putting out there was that, and and, and I feel like I was miss. I, I don't know if I was misunderstanding it or if others were misunderstanding <laughs> it. So I'm going to give both of my interpretations here. The, the way that I understood the stat was that of um, uh, 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 the uh, three pointers that that Caitlin Clark shot, and, and it might have been made made three pointers. I think fifty eight percent of them were from twenty five plus feet, and <laughs> the arc is twenty two feet. But I, I also saw an interpretation of it where it was it was like she was shooting fifty eight percent from beyond. Um, OK, but it was I think it was just uh, ridiculous. It was more of a percentage <laughs> of the shots taken rather than the. But but in any case, it was um, wild monster performance. Wild. From here, so, yeah. Um, yeah, really, really fun and, and a great season. And um, and yeah, ho- hoping that uh, the Leafs can also find some of that postseason magic. Uh, as we as we get towards the end of the season here uh nicholas thank you for the the one-on-one time we always appreciate
1: it always fun chatting with you bud and
0: uh we will do it again one more time before playoffs i guess yeah we're
1: getting there like two weeks from today playoffs get going you know we're there